as a business model, when everyone at TripAdvisor goes to sleep at night, nobody writes a single line of code, nobody launches a marketing program, we wake up the next day, and our product, the website, is actually better because 100,000 more reviews have landed, more photos, and the info got richer, which we just kind of love that. That's Stephen Kalfa, the founder and CEO of TripAdvisor, who's stepping down this year after 22 years in charge. Can you imagine that? What were you doing 22 years ago? I was in school. I mean, I was still a year away from sitting my GCSEs. This is Secret Leaders from Kindling Media, and I'm your host, Dan Murray-Serta. We're here to learn from entrepreneurs like Stephen who've done something pretty special. In this case, I was desperate to find out how you spend so long leading a company, particularly an internet business like TripAdvisor. Have a think for a second about what the internet even looked like 22 years ago. The biggest internet company in the world back then was Yahoo, and they were worth $100 billion. Not much by today's standards. You might have expected that Stephen's love of traveling has carried him through, but in reality, it all starts with him as a pretty average traveler. I had uh, wonderful parents growing up. I had uh, was afforded numerous capabilities, you know, with some hardship in there. Uh, my mom was ill when I was young, but uh, overall, I look back with positive memories. I was actually born, and this surprises a lot of people, in Hollywood, California, uh, and lived in the greater Los Angeles area until I was 18, moved to the East Coast of the U.S. for college, and have been in Boston ever since. Doesn't sound like a lot of travel, actually. Not really what I would expect. So talk to me a little bit about that. Were you, like, you know, staying put in all these places at the time, or...? I'd say it's more circumstance. In college, I'd actually taken a semester off from school uh, for the purpose of traveling. I mean, school was fine, but I didn't see any reason why I couldn't interrupt it and went with a buddy and we traveled to, you know, a gazillion countries and mostly in Europe, uh, touched Africa a little bit. I uh, got to Berlin when the wall was still up. Had an adventure and I dare say in my current role, I've had the opportunity to visit a lot of amazing places around the world. I think it was the New York Times that actually wrote a small profile piece with the title being TripAdvisor founded by an average traveler. And it was you know, picking up on a line I had said during the interview that, hey, I wasn't a real avid traveler. I hadn't grown up touring the world. I hadn't, it wasn't always on my bucket list to go to 10 more countries. Like, I love a, a week vacation, two weeks. I love a long weekend. I like to go places, but it, it really wasn't in my, my blood or it wasn't the family pastime to go travel to new places. I was in the software development tool space, uh, starting business after college. And then like, who doesn't like to travel, but it wasn't a driving force uh, when I was switching jobs and, and thinking about the next thing to do. When you were traveling back then, I mean, give us give us a, a decade. When are we talking? And what was travel? What was the travel experience typically like back then? Well, you, you wandered around, and at the time, you got a what was called a URL pass for a month that would give you free train rides anywhere on the continent. That was great, and we just went like, "Hey, where do we want to go tomorrow?" And we wake up, take a train there, and away we go. It was a grand adventure. People would ask me, "Hey, and how is the food?" I'm like. 
I was on a cheapo budget, so I literally ate bread and cheese in every single city. So it wasn't until I got much older that I could eat at nicer restaurants on the travels. Um, okay, so you're 18, you've gone this experience, you come back to, uh, to America University? Uh, so actually, I had started universities, uh, did a year, then took a semester off, kind of in between, came back, finished up my degree, and then I was off like, okay, what's next? And so many of my classmates were off getting their programming jobs because uh, I was a computer science major. And it so happens I figured out something that would allow me to program because I liked it, but didn't involve going to work for a big company. And what was that? Uh, well, I actually started uh, uh, a company with a uh, sort of out of the senior thesis type project. It, to be clear, it wasn't really a senior thesis. I wasn't willing to work that hard. Programming was fun. And so what we ended up building were some uh, software development tools, which just means this is what other professional programmers would use. This concept that we had, it was interpreter, debugger, other fun stuff, if you're a computer science geek. In fact, we turned it into a company and we started selling those productivity tools uh, in the marketplace. It turned it into a company that at its peak, I think, had 150 people or so. We sold the software globally. Uh, I ran engineering for most of it. A hell of a learning experience. And so hell of a learning experience. Was that company successful? Did it have an exit? Did it fail? The company was successful. Grew many years, won awards. We did a, a lot right. And all the stuff that we did completely wrong was hidden by the success we had had. So it was a beautiful uh, 20 million in revenue. We were profitable. Then the market changed and we kind of thought, well, we knew what was going to happen. We had a business to run. And we just didn't pay very close attention to what was going on around us. And in a super classic manner, the market moved left. We kept going straight. Our sales plateaued. Our sales went down. We hurried to try to reinvent some new products. Didn't have enough time to do it. Layoff round one, layoff round two. And the company was sold for, uh, it didn't go bankrupt. It was sold for, you know, a very small amount to another company that could absorb us. And I stuck around for a year to just help with the transition. But yeah, but those stock options ended up being the proverbial wallpaper. It, it was great experience, not financially rewarding. And how old were you learning these lessons? Well, so that was, uh, you know, the company formed uh, when I was 22, I guess, and was with it call it from 1985 until 1998. Okay, so a serious stint. Serious stint. Like, God help the, or I feel badly for all the people that I managed when I was a brand new manager. I'm sure I just like cringe at the thought of, of how terrible I was back then. But as you grow, you know, you, you learn by trial and error, and that's really unfortunate when it comes to the people you're working with. Uh, you make some good business decisions and you really mess up a whole bunch of others. Uh, but it is a heck of a teaching experience to be on the management team of a company that's growing through that type of growth. And then seeing what the real people around you are like and 
how the company chooses to deal with adversity when the market turned and all of a sudden we weren't growing at 20, 30% a year. What would you say your main lesson and takeaway is that you reflect on from that part of your journey? Don't equate luck and success. I mean, try to look back and as successful as you are, think carefully about, did you just have like good timing in the market? And I, I apply that to TripAdvisor as well. We had impeccable timing when we started the company, and that contributed to a ton of our success. And I'm very humble about that. We managed not to mess it up too, too badly. We managed not to make a bunch of decisions that would have tanked the company. We had a real challenge getting started, but some of the earlier lessons at the first company was called Centerline, some of the earlier lessons from Centerline helped me navigate that new company. But uh, in the first company, because it was going so well for the first 10 years, we, we kind of thought we were geniuses. And that was the wrong conclusion from the same set of facts. So I guess even reflecting on uh, TripAdvisor now, any chance that you believe that you're uh, a genius or could achieve genius status? Or is that, uh, that sense of humility or being ripped apart from your first experience? Uh, yeah, no. We Again, the timing of TripAdvisor was, was really well. We didn't necessarily know it at the time, and I'm happy to share our kind of business model pivot that we had to go. They, they call it a pivot now. I, I love that phrase. We called it a scramble for our lives. We're about to go out of business. It doesn't sound as good. It, yeah, right. So I, I understand the marketing, the branding of that. But look, TripAdvisor hit the market at really a beautiful time when people were looking for information on the internet. The type of information we had wasn't generally available. And it was information about a transaction, this hotel reservation, that was easily moving online, leaps and bounds. And it was a perfect thing to buy online because nobody had to ship you anything. It was just a, an electronic confirmation. And so travel was a great category for online. And we weren't selling hotel rooms ourselves. We didn't own hotels ourselves, but we were a great conduit of information. And that really, that really launched the business. So just to be clear, you started uh, 22 years ago, right? So the year 2000. So you finished your last business in 1998, it sounds like. Uh, so you took some time off in between, or what is the story in between the two businesses? We had sold the, the first business. I went with them for a year. At the same time, I started a small consulting business with my wife. That was always meant to be a small business. We built one other product. We sold it off. And at that point, I looked at the world and said, hey, I love this software development tool category, but hey, I want to do something new. And looked around and said, well, it's clearly going to be internet related. And that was kind of my, I'd run engineering. I felt maybe I could run a company now. So let me find something I could build that was internet based that I could build it. That was my strength in terms of uh, the engineering training. And travel category just happened to be the idea that, that I came up with that had the most merit. And so it wasn't, you know, like you've, you've gone on a holiday in between, you've experienced these problems, nothing like that? Well, funny you should mention that. Yes. So 
as I'm, I'm still working for the consulting company a bit, but really in planning mode, what's going to come next, what's going to come next. And uh, I want to go on holiday with my wife. I never took a lot of vacation in all my years at, uh, at the prayer company because I was a founder. I was working my tail off. But when we did go on vacation, like, hey, we want to have a good time. I uh, was not wealthy by any stretch, you know, solidly middle class. So I couldn't spend money on the luxury places. But anyway, this is, uh, you know, back in 1998, I guess. And I'm planning a trip. And at that age, you go to a travel agency. That's how people planned it. Where can I go? What luxury class am I in? And, you know, we live in Boston. So it was recommended we head down to Mexico Hey, try this new up-and-coming place, Playa del Carmen. It's south of Cancun. You're flying to Cancun. It's an hour away. Rates are pretty cheap. I'm like, cool. Sounds lovely. It was a beach vacation. I vividly remember we left with three brochures. It was a hotel. Yeah, you know, and these are multi-page brochures with beautiful high-res photos, Photoshop to the wazoo, I presume. But of course, they present every property as the best possible one. And here was one that was called 150 night. This was 200 night. And this was 300 night. I'm like, they are all equally beautiful. Hey, honey, let's stay at the one that's 150 night. It's the cheap one. Save some money. And she goes, well, maybe. But why don't you do some research on the Internet to see if that's actually a good place? And so sure enough, I went online. And I typed the name of the hotel and I got lots of hits. That was great, except they were all links to other travel agencies around the country that had the ability to take a reservation for that one hotel. So it was absolutely not what I was looking for. I wanted the gossip. I wanted the biased opinions. I wanted the reviews. I wanted the candid photos. I wanted somebody to tell me this was a great place to stay. And I literally spent about a week on it trying to figure out, trying to find that gem of information. And when I finally did, it was in the back pages of the web. It was a GeoCity, somebody's homepage, like a minor miracle I found it. But it did have this person's write-up of their stay with some photos of the proverbial back of the hotel, not the front. The chairs were rusted. The pool looked really crowded. The beach was not nearly as nice looking as what was in the photos and they were posted from six months ago. That told me everything I wanted to know. I did not want to stay at that place. We upgraded ourselves, got back to the travel agents who said, hey, we'll take the, the mid-range. We went, had a great time. And on the way home, my wife said, uh, she was the one that went to business school, not me. And she said, the research you did changed a rather expensive decision purchase that we made. Maybe for your next adventure, you want to start a website that would help people make those decisions. And I distinctly remember saying, pause, pause, nah, that'll never work. And a year later, a uh, joke was on me because that was the best idea we had had along the way. And so a couple of buddies started up the company with kind of that as the premise, help people find the good, the bad, and everything in between on where to go and where to stay on vacation. And talk to me about timing, because you mentioned it's 2000. You mentioned timing has been very fortuitous this time around in your journey. But, you know, 2000 is an interesting time in internet culture and history. So talk to us a little bit about why you think that's been a positive for you. 
Yeah, so the dot-com boom had just gone kaboom, and it was now a bust. Big, highly funded companies were just going under. And so we decided to start our company as a B2B company. We were going to build, think of it as a travel search engine, and we would license our results to the Expedia and Travelocity and Yahoo Travel and all those folks. It wasn't going to be a multi-billion dollar public company. It was going to be a smaller technical play, but still very successful, providing tons of great information. But we wouldn't be the, the C side of the B2C equation. So we started the company, raised a couple million dollars. There was still money around, and we weren't looking to raise $50 million to build a consumer brand. So our type of business was in favor, if you will. And then we built it, and we launched the site. When I say the site, it was really demo.tripadvisor.com because we weren't trying to be a consumer site, but we still had to showcase uh, technology or the licensing that we were trying to sell. And then, yeah, happy to talk about it, but things did not go well at that point. What do you mean? Well, we had started on this premise and raised money on a premise that we would be able to license this search engine to the other travel companies and so and portals. And so we built it. We went around and we talked to Yahoo and Lycos and AOL and Expedia and Travelocity. And everyone said, hey, it looks pretty good. But no, we're not interested in actually paying for your services. I'm like, but, 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 and like, yeah, they had other more important things to do. If we'd done a little more customer research, we might have seen that coming, but we struggled. We finally actually did close uh, Lycos as a distribution partner. It was on RevShare, and we were really excited about it. That launched in Q2 of 2001. We had a whole summer. And then, uh, yeah, that turned out to be a, a big, absolute nothing in terms of revenue to us. And then, hey, we all remember what happened on September 11, 2001. Horrible for the world, for the country. And if you were in the travel industry, travel just ground to a halt and nobody knew how long it would take. So all of our lead pipeline for other partners just dried up instantly. We couldn't get our phone calls returned. And now we're actually like really close to running out of money. We've got about six months of, of cash left. Laid off a quarter of our staff, which I think was three people at the time. So our burn rate was low. We were burning about 70K a month. The Lycos partnership we thought would be great for us turned out to, frankly, to be worthless. And so then we went into the, called it the pivot earlier, we called the, uh, hey, we're about to go out of business. What do we do? And I actually went back to our board at the time and said, our business model is a failure. We're not able to get these partners. 9-11 just happened, so we're not gonna get new people to try it. They're, they're busy trying to save their own business. We can, kind of give you back 10 cents on the dollar and close up shop, or we can pivot and try to do something else. And, you know, our board appreciated the honesty, I think, and said 10 cents back on the dollar isn't worth anything to us. Go ahead, see if you can figure it out. And that was certainly a very wise decision on their part because after trying several different things, we did come across 
a magic secret sauce for our business, which in short was taking beta.tripadvisor.com, turning it into www.tripadvisor.com. And instead of running banner ads, we just put a text link next to the Boston Park Plaza Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. And the text link read, click to check price and availability. And if you clicked, we would deep link you right into Expedia's website. And some percentage of the people that clicked would reserve the hotel. Expedia would pay us for that reservation. And we had a way to, to make money. And that pivot, that throw the spaghetti against the wall, find something that would stick enabled us to uh, to hit that magic profitability moment in early 2002. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. So sorry, just to be clear, you hit profitability in 2002. Right. So in September of 2001, we're like, holy crap, our industry is crumbling. In October, we launch, we're trying different things on the website. In December 2001, we had our first paying customer. And in March, we were profitable. Again, it was 70,000 a month. So we didn't have a lot of burn to cover. But in total, you know, TripAdvisor for the billions it's worth now, we raised a grand total of $4.2 million in, in funding. That was literally going to be my next question, which is to give you uh, listeners some context, just high level quickly. So you raised $4.2 million. You exited for what? Uh, so in 2004, 
on the back of some incredible growth years, more traffic, more clients, and we were this marketplace. And by golly, all these travelers were coming, writing reviews and writing more reviews. So we had this amazing flywheel at the time where some folks out there recognized if you were early in this stage, like the early folks in eBay doing auctions, it was, it was impossible for anyone else to catch up to them. TripAdvisor with reviews and travel reviews. So we had expanded globally. We were doing multiple languages and we were collecting more and more reviews because you want to write a review where people are going to read it. You want to read a review where there's the most reviews. So it's this great network effect. I love sharing the, the snippet that as a business model, when everyone at TripAdvisor goes to sleep at night, nobody writes a single line of code. Nobody launches a marketing program. We wake up the next day and our product, the website, it's actually better because 100,000 more reviews have landed, more photos, and the info got richer, which we just kind of love that. Anyway, to your question, in 2004, we sold for, you know, all in over uh, about 200 million in cash, which was life-changing events for all of us. And then we became part of Interactive Corporations, which is kind of a holding company, became part of them. And then in 2005, we were spun out as part of uh, Expedia Inc., the travel company that has uh, a lot of different travel brands. And until 2011, TripAdvisor was one of them. And, and then uh, we were getting to be a, a decent size, TripAdvisor standalone. And so Expedia Inc. was this amalgamation of transaction companies, they uh, Hotels.com and Hotwire and Expedia, they book your airport, they book your hotel. And this fast-growing media company, TripAdvisor, we sold advertising, we sold click-offs. It was, we didn't sell you the reservation, we just helped you find it. And so uh, Expedia Inc. board said, hey, let's split the two. Each will find their own set of shareholders. And so technically our shares were dividended out to all Expedia shareholders. We went on a, a little bit of a roadshow. And in uh, late 2011, TripAdvisor became independently traded under the symbol TRIP. And yeah, I managed to make it through all those transitions, still enjoying my job almost every day of it, 22 years later. It's quite amazing, though. I mean, I actually, I've interviewed, I guess, almost 200 people now. I don't think I've actually interviewed one person who has been the founder and CEO for 22 years through so many mergers, acquisitions, exits, sale opportunities, different owners, different shareholders, each one presumably with like really different experiences. Wait a minute, you can't leave the pandemic out of that one, right? <laughs> Nothing like the, the journey of seeing a company, very profitable company for so many years. We were literally profitable every quarter since early 2002. Go and see in a single month, essentially a 90% revenue drop in our core business. Like, wow. And you just didn't know how long it was going to last. And yeah, that's crisis management quickly on the job. Hadn't learned that one before. And then uh, we had faith that travel would come back. I mean, I was going to say for the people that can't see, which is uh, most people, you do have most of your hair. Can I assume that a lot of the hair that, that had fallen out happened in the last year over COVID? 
I, I, if you look back a couple of years, the, it's a different color hair now. Yes. Okay. So the last couple of years might have uh, aged you a bit. I mean, you know, I do have a lot of questions, but I'm trying to be selective. So let me ask you instead. Over all those different exits and, you know, like I say, mergers and new owners and like so many different stories where it's just so typical to get a new CEO, but also the motivation for you as a founder who is now a millionaire, is now comfortable, could now do another, could now retire, basically, or could have retired for about 17 years ago. I find it really fascinating just to hear you talk about your motivation um, and to hear you explain also, you know, why you've suddenly decided that you are leaving, right? Because that is your next stage. You are finally leaving TripAdvisor. And it, it sort of flows into the question I have, which is, have you not been super curious by all of the other opportunities on the internet out there over this journey? You know, what's been your motivation to stay and what's changed? When TripAdvisor was first acquired in 2004, I really didn't think I would be around. We were acquired by a big company. Big companies want budgets and bureaucracy and politics and everything, all the stereotypes I had heard. And I'm like, of course I'm going to stick around for a year. I really want TripAdvisor to be very successful. But I was confident I was going to be stifled. I was going to be asked to do stuff that I didn't think was important. And having just sort of cashed out a huge amount, I didn't have to anymore. And there's lots of other things in the universe I'd be excited about doing. But kudos to Interactive Corp and then Expedia. That's not how they behave. They really said, hey, TripAdvisor, you're doing great. Keep doing it. Let's make sure we stay out of your way. And I thought to myself, well, I don't really believe that, but we'll give it a shot because, wow, TripAdvisor still had a ways to go. We were relative to the other travel companies, tiny in traffic and small in revenue. We were 50 million in revenue or so, which is great after four years, but teeny tiny in the scheme of bigger travel companies. So our mission from the beginning was like, hey, be be the biggest, the most loved travel site on the internet. Like, wow, we had a really long ways to go there. So I'm like, all right, we'll stick it out. I'll keep doing it until something changes. And over all those years, like we were still kind of left alone. And then we became our own company when we spun out. And the trepidation I had about managing a thousand people instead of a hundred people, you know, there's certainly some learning on the job, but you hire good people around you. They can teach you. I didn't go to business school. I didn't, I couldn't pretend I was a CFO. So I did my best to hire somebody that knew that role really well. Again, surrounding myself as best I could with people that would be as excited about the potential for TripAdvisor as I was, wanting to grow it as much. And my God, who in the world didn't want to have TripAdvisor available to them, great information in their language covering the places they went. So kind of sky's the limit and it worked really well. I always said, hey, as soon as the job gets boring, I'm going to do a nice transition to somewhere else. As soon as the job gets suffocating, I'm going to go do something else. As soon as, like, as soon as the board doesn't want me running it, fine. Don't, don't worry about my feelings. Lots of other stuff to do if you think you can find somebody else. COVID came along, so I wasn't even thinking about anything at that point. Absolutely have to get the company through it. 
But as we came out of COVID, and that was a lot of work, I thought, look, if I am going to dabble in some other idea, some other interesting, I'll be turning 60 next year, I, I, I better get on with it. And I never like to look back and say, oh, but if I only did X. And I kind of felt like A, it's great for truth advisor to have some new blood at the helm, and B, yeah, I wanted to go scratch that itch. I want to go try something else. And it's a fantastic job for, for whoever gets it next. But after 22 years, no one could deny that uh, uh, I get a shot at doing something else as well. So many questions. I will try and behave and keep them one by one. It's sort of the thing, right? Founders often deal with that a lot, which is like you're so attached to your identity. And you don't often talk to people that have been there for 22 years. It's such a major part of your life. It is, absolutely. I think about it in the morning when I get up. This morning, like every morning, I open up my email, there's an automated report, what was the revenue like yesterday? I don't have any influence on that, but it's just ingrained in my habit to look at it. So I live and breathe it, but I would candidly say that my identity is not tied up in it. I'm very proud of it, and I wish it to be infinitely more successful than I've been able to make it. I think the, the next chapter is the promise. I'm like, I'm disappointed in a sense that I'm not part of the next chapter, but I think somebody else will be able to do a better job getting it to that next chapter than me. And I'll be the biggest cheerleader from the side and engage in something else. If I don't find something else, it may be the guitar in the background here or scuba diving. I love scuba diving. Yeah, so like, I'm very comfortable that the company will do great things, even better things than with me there. So, Do you have a plan? I do not. A very frequent question. I know enough about my own personality to say I can't really have one foot in something. I, I just get absorbed. I remain fully absorbed in TripAdvisor. And so people send me, hey, Pasty, hey what do you think about? Or uh, I'm reading something on Web3. It looks really interesting. I forward it to my, uh, to my read later account. And I'm sure I will read it and I'll listen to the podcast and I'll get educated on a new category but I worry about getting too excited about something new before I've done a great job transitioning TripAdvisor where it's at. So I've said publicly, I think it's about a 80% chance that a year from now I'll be leading some other or seriously involved in some other new professional venture, which still means there's a 20% chance I, I enjoy the, the relaxing part of life too much. Can you talk to us a little bit about your habits? Talk to me a little bit about like your behaviors. What are some of the good habits and bad habits that you picked up over the years? And how do you think that your personality has evolved over the last 20 years due to them? Great one. Uh, still learning. And I'd probably say that's one of my better habits. I look back frequently on, as in monthly, not annually, and I say, hey, for whatever I was just working on or the company was just working on. If it went beautifully, perfectly, 100%, that's great. And that almost never happened. So I think back like, how could it have been done better? And I asked myself the question, 
not with the benefit of hindsight, what should we have done differently, but with the benefit of experience or wisdom. It's a really important distinction that, that a lot of people lose. With the benefit of hindsight, oh, well, that turned out to be a better market decision because customers wanted X and Y. Sure, that's easy in hindsight, but knowing just what you knew at the time, being more experienced, being smarter, how would you have asked different questions or how would you have driven the game plan differently now that you have this less than perfect success? With failures, it's really powerful because you learn something that you do get to apply to the next situation, even though the facts will be different. You learn how to analyze choices in front of you to increase the odds that you'll make the next one in a better way. And I try to teach that as well. Some people it's a natural, others, but it was successful in the case of a modestly successful project. And here's where it gets to the, like, the positive side and the negative side. Steve, you're so critical. Can't you just say, great job? Because my first answer is like, well, yeah, it is a great job, but even when something goes well, I can learn something from it. How could it have been even better? Yeah, we, we got to our target, amen. And how for the next time could I have exceeded that? And that's a very legitimate criticism of my management style is I am not, I don't celebrate the small wins and the bigger wins as actively and as frequently as I should. Yeah, and I laugh a little bit. It is absolutely true. This is not an excuse. But, you know, my father was kind of like that. He just had high expectations. So I didn't get a lot of congratulations, son. You got an A in science. It was expected. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good job. Matter of factly. And so I took that because I respected him a ton as excellent. I did it. I earned his respect. And hey, in the business world, in life in general, family, kids, the works, like you're much better off with the, in my opinion, much better off celebrating all the wins that are genuine wins. And at the same time, you can take time to learn what could have gone better. They're not mutually exclusive, which has been my problem. Love that answer. Again, leads to more questions. What is this? What, like, if you're, if that's your attitude and that's how you grow up and it's embedded in your behaviors, like, how do you know when you hit a real win? Like, what, what was a real win to you? Were you actually able, um, after all of this, you know, when you had your first exit and other exits after it, were you able to really take stock and say, well done, Steve, I'm proud of myself. I've done a great job here. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, and, and I speak for the company. We, we bought a number of companies over the years, and some have gone quite well. Others really haven't. Sometimes they blow up really quickly. Other times kind of they, they peter out. But the ones that have gone well, hey, they changed the course of the business. And I absolutely celebrate the risk we took, recognize that it could have gone better, but say, hey, look at this pie chart. This is now a meaningful part of our business because we took the risk five years ago and hip hip hooray. I mean, absolutely make sure that the appropriate team or set of people get, get credit for it. So, okay, uh, CEO still today of a, uh, a public company worth over four and a, four and a half or so billion dollars. 
Talk to me then about failures with a little f. What have been some of your notable failures with a little f? And have you had any with a big f? Or does that just count if you if the company dies? To the team, I say, hey, it's okay to fail with with a little f. If we embark on a project and the failure would be a big f, it's not necessarily the company going down, but like I want to know about it, I want to support it, I want to be invested, I want to make sure this is a risk worth taking. So to bring up a a painful scar in my company's history, we did something called instant booking eight, nine years ago. I, I tried to block it out of my memory. Learned a ton. It was a great concept in terms of enabling people to actually make the hotel reservation on TripAdvisor, especially as mobile phones were becoming more and more popular. We promoted it heavily on the site and we wanted, instead of you clicking off to Expedia or Booking.com, to actually just put in your credit card and finish buying the hotel, making the hotel reservation on TripAdvisor. It was easier for the consumer. You were getting them the best price. There was no reason to click over to somebody else's site. And if we could build up more repeat usage, it would solve one of TripAdvisor's biggest challenges, which is the loyalty of our users to actually spend money on TripAdvisor was barely there. So we embarked on the big project. Customers said, yeah, that sounds good to me. And we went in, I'd call it uh, very heavy, a big investment. The board knew all about the project, explained it publicly. And over the next couple of years, it was a painful lesson that just kind of didn't work. And so the opportunity cost of people and the opportunity cost of, hey, we actually lost out on some revenue when we did that. And I had to stand up in front of the front of the public markets and say, yeah, sorry, not delivering the benefits that we want as quickly enough. And so we had to pull back on it. And with the benefit of hindsight, of course, bad thing to do. Wish we'd never done it. With the benefit of wisdom, I would have gone slower in certain parts of it, but I probably still would have tried it because the thesis was still pretty solid and the research was still pretty solid. And you know, our approach was, I think, a pretty reasonable one, but I could have made the failure into something that was a lot less. And hey, that's what my wisdom, my my theoretical wisdom would would tell my future self. Got it. What has been the hardest challenge for you building TripAdvisor into a big global company? In our case, a lot comes down to the people and the teams. I'm a believer that there's usually more than one way to be successful as a company, a lot of different paths. There's no rarely one magic bullet. Certainly, I don't think that is the case for TripAdvisor. Our growth was dramatically cut back when Google decided to get into what I think of as our space. And so if you do a hotel search on Google or Best Hotels in Boston or Boston Park Plaza Hotel, 10 years ago, Google showed you the best results on the web. And that was sites like ours and a bunch of others. And then Google decided to start showing their own stuff and collect their own reviews and deliver their own 
parts of the puzzle. Even when their own studies found that travelers liked our sites better, our sites, review sites, Yelp and TripAdvisor and others, uh, but you know, Google owned the page, so Google decided to do what they wanted to do. And when Google does that, it sucks a lot of oxygen out of the room. It just diverts a lot of people that were coming to TripAdvisor over to their platform. And that took a lot of kind of wind out of our sails, not a death blow by any stretch. We continue to grow the company, but the prospects for owning that part of the equation didn't. And so we had to like, hey, chapter two or, or the next thing, and we expanded categories into restaurants and attractions. We started other initiatives. Got it. And in terms of feedback, Share some interesting feedback that you've had about yourself from your colleagues and from those around you that has actually helped you develop into a better leader throughout the years. You know, on the plus side, I think people find me very reasonable to deal with. I'm I'm not a screamer. I have opinions, but I'm not wedded to them. If you make a good argument, persuade me otherwise. I've exclaimed publicly, hey, I love being shown that I'm wrong. You got some data that says my gut reaction is actually wrong. Super. My gut reaction now gets to be a little bit better the next time. Uh, and I believe in a transparent culture. I, I like to share what's going on with the whole company. The negative, I already alluded to the like, hey, I'm a little too judicious with compliments, which is crazy because they're well deserved, but, but for some reason I have trouble saying them. And then the advice I would give my younger self at TripAdvisor would certainly be to pay more attention to growing the talent within the organization at all levels. So we came kind of late to the game in the investing in learning and development and investing in the HR resources that really served as a partner to the business leaders in developing the talent. So over the years, I've had number of great business leaders, they weren't always the best at people development in their own groups and hard to find someone that's perfect at everything. So again, relying on on your HR business partner more would be something I would tell myself. Just very quickly, I, you know, we skipped over the TripAdvisor story quite a lot, but you know, what is the most reviewed? What, what is the most reviewed review, I guess, is the question. I'll actually go turn that back to you because You can think of, and I'll pose the question very specifically, you've got things to do, right? And I'll name the Eiffel Tower as an example, or the Statue of Liberty. Hey, that's somewhere you go, got it. And we collect reviews on the Eiffel Tower and the Statue of Liberty. There are hotels. There's the Boston Park Plaza Hotel. There's the Marriott Marquis Hotel in New York. Reasonably big hotels, they get reviews. Then there are restaurants, the famous restaurant in pick your favorite city. And we have a million restaurants or more on the platform. So between places to sleep, between places to eat. Now, we don't review Starbucks as a corporation. We review the Starbucks that's on the corner of 5th and 32nd. So that particular Starbucks, uh, to be clear. Or there's the statues, the museums, the, the, the landmarks. I will ask you, what do you think is the most reviewed thing on TripAdvisor? 
Okay, I've got two answers in my head. And tell me if I'm sort of sniffing around the right sad fact of humanity. One is Disney World. So a Disney World hotel. And then the other one in my head is, sadly, a McDonald's in Asia or something like that. So let me me offer you a, a couple of hints. Okay, I'm way off. You're not way off, but just a couple of reminders. The audience on TripAdvisor is very global. We have more people that live outside of the U.S. that visit a TripAdvisor site than there are Americans. Pre-pandemic, it was about 400 million, 450 million unique users every month. Uh, And and the other point is like, people leave reviews after they've been there. So you have to think about, so the, the McDonald's in Asia, like could that really have as many visitors as, as a Disney World? So uh, Disney World is popular, but no, you're not there. Okay, is it something in California? Let's start there. No, and here's where I'll hint, hey, where do most of the people in the world live? Now, mind you, we don't have a big pop, we don't have a big audience in, in China, but a lot of people have to be able to get to this hotel attraction or restaurant. So California is pretty far from a lot of parts of the world. That's my last clue. You get one more guess. Jesus Christ. I don't feel like that made it easier. Um, I, I, no, hold on. In let's Europe. One, one last clue. In Europe. Yeah, I was going to say, let's do one last clue. Is it in Europe? Okay, great. God, you're now making me want to say Heathrow Airport or something terribly, terribly dry, but I, I'm, I'm hoping people don't bother reviewing Heathrow Airport. Like, you've left me thinking it has to be... Yeah, the Louvre slash Eiffel Tower, I would say, or or Buckingham Palace. So, yeah, you're, you're getting a little closer uh, to, to keep our audience in, in, in less suspense. That geographical hint was pretty important because it needs to be something that everyone can get to. And Sagrada Familia in Barcelona is super famous, easy to get to for most of Europe, and as of this very moment, we have 164,367 reviews on Sagrada Familia. Last I checked, I believe the Colosseum was number two. And then I think Eiffel Tower was number three, if I recall. These things change. They're all actually uh, pretty close. No one has ever guessed that correctly. I refused. I refuse to believe that anyone has ever guessed that over the Eiffel Tower. As amazing as Sagrada Familia is, there's no chance. Without, uh, without multiple, multiple, without many more hints than I gave you, you are correct. Nobody has guessed it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Make me feel a little bit better. You can see that my ego really got in the way with that response. No, good right guesses. <laughs> okay. Let's talk. If you don't mind, let's talk about money. What has the impact of having money, like in your life, afforded you? And I suppose the interesting question as someone who has stayed in their role, almost makes the assumption, I suppose, that um, money isn't a particularly interesting motivator or driver. And if not, you know, to what end do you have purpose for it or use it in your life? Yeah, I think having money is, is wonderful. When we sold TripAdvisor, it put the question marks in my mind about, how am I going to afford college tuition for the kids? What's my retirement going to look like? Do I have to work at a job I don't like? Took care of 
all of those things in, in a single event. That was pretty meaningful. For me, at least, the worry about or that having to plan my life around that, I had already had kids, so there wasn't a question starting family for me, but being comfortable that everybody was provided for, period. It's like, that was great. Did it change my actions? I'd say not really. And, and this isn't a, a judgment at all. It's just personally, like, I didn't even buy a new car. I went to work the next day. I did the things I like to do. As part of the purchase, I had negotiated six weeks of vacation with my new employer, because that was part of this termination. Like, yeah, I never even took that because I was so engaged in, in what I was doing. My primary objective was just, hey, life goes so much nicer if you get up in the morning and you want to do what you're doing. Love it. Thank you so much, Steve. Okay, last question. What's a great piece of advice you've had uh, that's been passed on to you through the years? And, you know, the other side of that, what is a piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with for their journeys? Early on, it was shared with me. There are some things that are just thrown at you in life. Tragedy, opportunity, just a mix of things that are really are outside of your control. And then you have 24 hours in a day. What do you want to do with that 24 hours? You're going to sleep for eight of it and eat for another one to two. You're now up to 10. Maybe you listen to that other advice and exercise for an hour. So now you're at 11. You work an eight hour job. You're now at 19. And now you've got five more hours to do anything you want. There's nothing wrong with binging a television show for five hours every single day. It's not a moral judgment. It's just not improving you. It's not getting you closer to anything that you want to become. It's enjoyment. And everybody's life needs enjoyment. But it is your choice where you want to spend your time. I can choose to eat at my desk at work and grab that hour back so that I can watch an extra hour of television. You know, as a habit, you asked about earlier, I barely watch any television. Again, not a moral judgment. When people talk about all the cool shows, I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen it, haven't seen it, haven't seen it. I don't feel like I'm missing out on something important in life. I'm simply choosing to spend my time doing other things I enjoy. I enjoy the crossword puzzle. I, I enjoy what, or spending time or, or whatever, whatever. But if you actually go through, keep a little diary for a week, look at where you're choosing to spend your time, and then decide, yeah, that's what I want to do, then you're good. You want to make a change? Go for it. And you sound like a Wordle fan just uh, within that. Is that the one one sensation that you have caught up with? I, I played with it for a little bit. Love the fact that, it, that it's quick. I do not do it every day, uh, but I am currently addicted to the uh, New York Times spelling bee every day. So I do that. Steve, it's been a massive pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on your, on your, uh, about your journey on Secret Leaders. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where the next 30 years takes you on the next part of your career. Oh, thank you so much. A real pleasure to chat with you. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top 
There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. If you don't take people on this journey with you, then you're going to be standing alone in the woods and nobody's going to be able to help you. You need everybody to be bought into what you're doing. Sometimes that takes time. Most entrepreneurs are very impatient people and just want to get it done, 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 done. And some of these things, if it involves people, you need to take them on the journey and you need to be willing to invest the time to get them on that journey. That was Max Rafaga, the founder and CEO of Finimize, a financial media startup, a bit like Morning Brew, which educates more of the masses about all things financial, like investing. Max is now the youngest FTSE 100 exec after Finimize was recently bought. And it's not his first startup he's exited either. Tune in for all the stories next week, or you'll miss out. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and I was the host of this episode. Editing was done by Lower Street Media, with Will Stolomon, our head of podcast, Bring It All Together.